Hello and welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast from Birkbeck University of London. I'm Andrew Youngson. Each month we're out and about capturing the energy of the college, speaking to academics, students and members of staff. This edition we dip into an extract from our sister podcast from the Department of Politics, Westminster Watch. I stop by a recent rehearsal of the Birkbeck Singers to hear their dulcet tones. And finally, I interview Professor Tom Cox about his role in the forthcoming Cancer and Employment Seminar. So buckle up, and away we go. First up then, is research focus. Birkbeck is a boiling pot of podcasting activity. From across the five schools and multiple research centres, you can hear our academics and students speak engagingly on topics as diverse as multiculturalism in Europe, to digitising the work of Charles Dickens. With this in mind, we at Birkbeck Voices thought it would be a good idea to give you a flavour of what to expect elsewhere in the Birkbeck podcastosphere, which may not be a word, but hey! Here's a clip from Westminster Watch, a regular podcast from the Department of Politics, which sets out to explore, analyse and comment on contemporary British politics. This is an excerpt from episode 8, which was originally posted on the 4th of December. Hello and welcome to Westminster Watch. My name is Dermot Hudson from the Department of Politics. It's the 4th of December and as usual I'm joined by my colleague Ben Worthy. The point of this podcast is to explore issues in the news that are of relevance to scholars of British politics, particularly those taking our undergraduate module, Contemporary British Politics. So as usual we have two issues. Um, As usual we're getting very distracted with all these developments in the Labour Party and the left in crisis is yet again theme uh, of the week, not necessarily of our choosing. Okay, so we'll go over to Ben, first of all, to talk about the parliamentary debate on Syria, and in particular, Hillary Benn's speech. The uh, vote um, on Wednesday, after a marathon, almost 10-hour debate with which PMQs was cancelled, was a very fascinating uh, piece of parliamentary activity. Not only did it play into what we've been talking to about earlier about whether Parliament now really decides on whether we take military action or not, um, but also was a piece of theatre. Because one of the really interesting things about Westminster is it's not just about what Parliament does, but it's also about the performances in Parliament and what people think about it. So Parliament is both a working legislature but also a wonderful piece of theatre. Um, I'm reminded of Phil Cowley's comment about rebellions. Um, and the idea is that when when couples are arguing about one thing, they're actually arguing about another thing. And here's a great analogy with Parliament. Because although they were talking about Syria, a lot of people were also talking about Iraq. Again, as we look at um, military action. Um, as you said, Dermot, there's lots of interesting angles here. The SNP, of course, um, voted wholly against... Um, extending the bombing to Syria but Scottish air bases were used and this has proven very controversial um, and also the Conservatives of course there was almost a complete consensus across the Conservative Party but there were some influential MPs who made comments that could come back to haunt David Cameron Julian uh, Luce who's chair of a select committee spoke of how uh, David Cameron's claim of these 70,000 um I don't know if you can call them soldiers or um, potential ground troops in Iraq may become his equivalent of Tony Blair's claim. But the real focus, away from the Conservatives and SNP, is, of course, the Labour Party. And in particular, the 66 MPs who voted 
to support the military action and, of course, the rather spectacular speech by Hillary Benn um, to wrap up the uh, debate where he actually went against his own leader's wishes and spoke very strongly in support in what many people, but not everybody, believe to have been a rather magnificent speech. What did you think, David? Well, I mean, I wanted to pick up on your point about the speech, uh, Ben's speech as political theatre. I mean, and I sense you have a different view, and that's kind of interesting. Um, my sense is that it was a pretty impressive piece of political theatre. Um, there was obviously the gravitas of what he was saying. It was a pretty gruesome speech, um, talking about the reality of what ISIS is doing. It was, however, I think, um, uh, you know, more significant for its theatrics. I thought the delivery of the speech was incredible. For me, there was shades of Richard Burton about this speech. There was a kind of cadence, a, a, a kind of, uh, you know, um, Shakespearean cadence about this in the way he talked. Very, very different from his father, who had a very unique speaking style that was, um, you know, striking. But I don't think really uh, quite as weighty as his son. And that's perhaps a controversial reading of the Ben family I'm, I'm willing to accept. But I thought the way he delivered it was extraordinary. I thought how he stood in the chamber was fascinating for me. A lot of the best lines were delivered when he turned around and faced his own party. In many ways, this was a speech that could have been given in private among the Labour Parliamentary Party. I thought it was a very, very effective speech in the sense that it connected with some of the great themes of the left, anti-fascism, which would have been, I think, central to his father's uh, politics, even though there's obviously big differences between the two bands here. And I think it also was a very effective way of pointing out the essential isolationism of Labour um, under Corbyn, this idea that there can be no... Um, um, kind of um, justifiable action of this kind internationally, even when it has the blessing of the United Nations. And I thought one of the strongest lines in Ben's speech was when he tried to link the history of the Labour Party to the founding of the United Nations, saying that Labour was crucial in the founding of that body. I think he rightly picked up on the fact that there is this strong isolationist streak in that party. And yet, that didn't really mean for me, that Corbyn was automatically in the wrong. You know, I think he is an isolationist on some levels, but I think he raised a lot of plausible points about Syria. This is most certainly not an Iraq situation where there's the idea of the enemy, uh, quote unquote. This is a, you know, a very, very complicated piece of multi-dimensional geopolitical chess. There are scores of actors internationally in Syria, and it's kind of unclear to me... Uh, what the marginal impact of bombing in, in a strategic sense, never mind the humanitarian consequences, is in such a complicated chessboard. And I think Corbyn was raising some important points there that were almost entirely diluted uh, by Hillary Benn's intervention. Ben, I sense that you have a different reading of, uh, of the theatre of this speech. Yes. Uh, I, just to pick up on one of your points, which is really interesting... Again, thinking about the theatre versus the reality, I mean, most analysts agree that actually Britain's contribution to these airstrikes will be minimal. So what we were seeing here was a kind of move that is politically valuable for David Cameron, but actually militarily 
probably reasonably small for all the talk of the brimstone missiles and these other ideas. Actually, the the number of fighter jets there is, is reasonably small. Um, yeah, I did have a different reading, and I like it when we disagree because uh, I think it's more fun. Uh, I heard it first as a podcast and was quite impressed, but then when I watched it, I thought it was definitely one of the most contrived speeches I've seen, and it was so heavily practised with this sudden, dramatic pause, as if somebody had been rehearsing for a long time, and of course, uh, having taught on democracy and authoritarianism, I think I was reasonably cynical about uses of the Spanish Civil War, the reference to the International Brigades, and then, of course, the dramatic, flourishing reference to fascism, um, which itself is uh, a term that could have certain dramatic implications for the Labour Party. And then, of course, his his uh, rather interesting reference to Winston Churchill at the end, we must all do our bit, which was the watchword of Britain in summer 1940. Few people, when they're making a dramatic speech, can escape from Winston Churchill. So I thought it came across. There's an odd phenomenon whereby a political speech in person can look contrived, but it can seem very different in uh, other contexts. So I was nowhere near as impressed. And um, I thought, actually... A lot of it was based on rather shaky evidence. And I'd point everybody towards the Foreign Affairs Select Committee's amazing report from last week about some of the problems which you were talking about, the multidimensionality, you know, the what happens once the bombing ends, what about the peace process, all these issues, which Hillary Benn's speech essentially brushed over. That was a clip from the Department of Politics regular podcast, Westminster Watch. You can hear more by clicking the link on the notes section of this podcast. Next up, it's the Birkbeck people slot. Christmas time is as much for eating and spending money as it is about the joys of music and sharing time with each other. With the latter very much at its core, the recently formed choir Birkbeck Singers has been bringing holiday cheer to the college community. Open to all staff, students and alumni, the Birkbeck Singers rehearse once a week, aiming above all to help people get in touch with their love of song, no matter what their skill level. I popped by a recent rehearsal where I spoke with student and founding member Lucy to find out more. My name's Lucy, I am studying the uh, Masters in Information Technology in my first year part-time, so this is brand new for me, I'm only here a few months. Um, I, in, in, in the choir I sing alto. The Birkbeck Singers are, well, we're an unauditioned choir, um, and we were only formed at the beginning of this term, so we're very brand new, um, and the idea really is just that we have a community of people who want to sing, who want to make music. We're currently singing a huge range of songs. We started with Bohemian Rhapsody, which we haven't finished yet. That's quite ambitious. Um, we're doing uh, a version of um, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which um, is a really lovely arrangement. Um, we're doing a song in High Zambian, 
um, which is kind of a call and response type song, um, a Russian uh, communist folk song, um, but also some more traditional stuff. So we're doing a load of Christmas carols in advance of the season and um, a few, what else? Yeah, it's, probably, it's a pretty good range there. Our musical director, Tony, is, um, he's a fantastic musician and he just really kind of helps us to bond and find our sound. Uh, I sing because I love it. Um, I've sung for a really long time. I was in a choir at my, when I did my undergraduate and I hadn't joined one since, coming, since graduating because I hadn't really found one I liked. And as soon as I saw this email, I think I was the first person to sign up because I'm super keen. Um, but really, like, it just... It, it gives you um, the same kind of endorphins uh, to sing that it does to do exercise, but you don't have to do the exercise, so that's a bonus. <laughs> if you've ever thought about singing before, I think joining the Burt Beck Singers would be a really good start. Um, it's reasonably priced for a choir, so you know it should be within most people's budgets, and if it's not, then you can come and talk to David. It's, it's the idea to be inclusive. But just come along and give us a try. We're really welcoming, um, and you, have, you don't have to have sung before. You don't have to read music. We learn most of our stuff by ear. So, um, yeah, come and give us a try next time. We want more members. The Burt Beck Singers there are showcasing the musical fruits of their labour. If you're interested in joining the choir, click the link in the notes below. And now on to our last section of this edition. It's the calendar. Next month, the College's Centre for Sustainable Working Life presents the latest in its series of seminars on cancer and employment. This important series seeks to break down the challenges facing HR directors and policymakers alike to better understand the bigger picture which affects so many people. In particular, January's event focuses on the legal and insurance contexts. To find out more, I called up the Centre's director, Professor Tom Cox. Okay, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Tom. Um, Before we start uh, talking about the uh, seminar coming up on the 21st of January, what can you tell me about the wider project and then the seminar series that this belongs to? Well, I'd like to start by telling you about the project on cancer and employment that we are running at the Center for Sustainable Working Life at Birkbeck. Um, This project is funded by the ESRC and it seeks a better understanding of what we know about cancer survivorship and engagement with work and how we can use that knowledge to improve the way that we manage those challenges, the challenges that are involved. We want to do this by encouraging discussion on how we can improve current policies and practices. Now, in order to do this, um, we've undertaken three tasks. First, we're running a series of six seminars across Britain, and we're working there with our colleagues and partners in Aberdeen and Newcastle. Um, But behind that, second, we are holding a series of development meetings with our key colleagues to discuss what we're learning from those six seminars and how we might put that to good use um, through other activities that we are involved in. And then third, we have concerns for capacity building in this, in our, in, in our area. 
And so what we're doing is trying to build up a multidisciplinary and multi-professional network of those involved with the issues here, uh, those who are interested and want to become involved with these issues. And we're going to platform or scaffold this with, uh, with using the uh, social media and, and the Internet. Okay. Now, the seminars, the six seminars, are built around a model of the key areas of concern mm-hmm. when we think about cancer survivorship and work engagement. And we're going to look at these areas through a social science lens. Okay, so then th- that leads us up to the, the, the next part in the seminar series on the 21st of January. What can you tell me about that particular day? What, what will be taking place? Okay, so um, on that day, 21st of January in the Keynes Library at Birkbeck, we're going to focus on the legal and insurance issues that relate to cancer survivorship and work engagement. So far, this is the third seminar, and so far we've looked at looked at these issues through the perspective of those diagnosed with cancer, working people diagnosed with cancer and their families, and we've also looked at the economic and labor market contexts. Okay. And then after this, the remaining three seminars are going to look at those who provide uh, the diagnosis, treatment, and support for employ- uh, employees with cancer, and uh, the employers and employing organizations, and then finally we can put all this into a European perspective. Okay. So this will take, uh, what's the format of the day? It'll be a, a series of talks and discussion opportunities? Yeah, well, we've got all these seminars structured in the same way. In the morning, we have um, three speakers, and in the afternoon, we have group discussions. Now, the three speakers, their main task are to present uh, an overview of their particular area. They're all experts in those areas, but also to stimulate that discussion. So um, they're focusing on what they think are the key issues now and going into the future and what we need to do to try and um, deal with them. And then the discussion groups pick that up and say, hey, what do we know at the moment? How can we use that in terms of better policy and practice? And also, what else do we need to know? Now, in the seminar on the legal insurance issues. Uh, our speakers are Joy Raymond, who um, is head of uh, vocational rehabilitation at Unum, one of the major insurers in this area. Mm-hmm. She's obviously going to talk about the insurance industry's perspective. We've got Keris uh, Barkley from Macmillan Cancer Support, who is involved in their work on the rights of those working with cancer, and for my sins, and finally, uh, me, Tom Cox, from the, from the center here at Birkbeck, who will think aloud about the health and safety issues um, involved. Great. So drill, drilling down a little bit more into your particular um, topic of investigation and discussion, what, what can you tell me about that? Have, uh, is it all written and ready to go? Um, uh, all written and ready to go. Now, there's a question. Um, I, 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 I'll tell you about some of the things that I want to uh, I, I want, I want to flag up. I think the first thing, which is quite important in this area, because, you know, don't forget we are working with employers, health and safety people, insurers, and so on and so forth, is, well, there are two rather different ways of addressing health and safety issues. The way we are doing it here through this social science lens, thinking about the individual, thinking about the organization, the context to all of this in terms of economics. And then the other one, 
um, which I think is more sort of hard-line health and safety management, um, and that is to look at exposure to carcinogens in the workplace mm -hmm. and how we can manage those. Now, my argument, which I will bring out as part of my presentation, is that in practice, these two seemingly quite different approaches actually share much in common. Yeah. When you're trying to deal with them, what are you talking about? You're talking about the identification of the key health-related risks, better understanding the mechanisms involved in those risks, communicating those, educating people about them, and then developing ways of managing both at the, indiv at the individual, at the group, and at the organizational levels. And I, I mean, that, that is very well established as you know, a description of the area of health and safety, and we just need to bring together um, these two rather different uh, areas of concern in, in, as they stand at the moment and, and approaches to get a more holistic and a more integrated um, approach, set of thinking about cancer and employment. So I'm going to be um, outlining that, but doing it after I've talked about the sort of issues that we see when we look at this through the perspective we're taking here, this psychosocial group organizational um, lens. And I'm going to do that in the context of not only UK law, but also European health and safety law. And I suppose, you know, I've, I've talked about three key stakeholder groups. Those employees who are diagnosed with cancer and their families, of course. Um, those clinicians, those people in uh, nursing staff, those people in the third voluntary sector like Macmillan who support them, and then their managers, colleagues, employing organizations, occupational health, uh, HR. So and, and part of this is to look at their roles and their, their responsibilities in this area. Okay. And, and of that cross-section of stakeholder groups that you're talking about, who is this seminar, who is the seminar series pitched to, and who will be present? What kind of um, professionals or, or stakeholders will be there at this day? From the beginning, I mean, the, the, these are seminars rather than conferences, so sure. we're, we're, we are aiming to have a group of about 30 to 50 people who have real involvement or real working interest in the areas. And the other part of was well, three aims. That's the first one. The second one is to make sure that group is, as I said before, both multidisciplinary and multi-professional. Okay. You want to get people out of their silos and talking to people who have important but different experiences in the area. And then thirdly, and that's where the bit comes in about people interested in the area. Thirdly, we want to bring in um, younger, early career people who want to develop in this area so they can get exposure to the issues, they can meet people outside their particular um, professional or academic silo, and we can bring those together in a group towards capacity building. Okay, I mean, it sounds like a very methodical and, and pragmatic approach is taken to this, this overarching project as well as the seminar series um, and really the idea of outcomes then. We, we've established that there is a need for greater synergy and for certain topics to be addressed. Um, in terms of future priorities in this space, what needs to be addressed 
sooner rather than later? And, and what, what form will that take? Is it policy we're talking about? Is it um, workflow, you know, employment law? What is it? I think there's, a, I think there's a f- four, four levels, actually. Um, I think one of those levels is to better understand what we don't know. And so these sorts of discussions, building up these sorts of networks, particularly multidisciplinary, multiprofessional, will help us see the gaps in our current knowledge. Um, we also need, and we have projects funded by Macmillan that are doing this um, in addition to this ESRC uh, program. We also need to take an overview of what is being done at the moment because I think it's marked by three things. A lot of hard-working, very committed people, but, there's always going to be a but, but practices vary. Um, Well, across organizations, across healthcare bodies and so on and so forth, it's Practices vary. There are some good practices, and needless to say, there are some not so good practices. So we need to understand that, capitalize on one, and reduce the incidence of of the other. We also need to develop a strategy, and again, we're working on this separately, a strategy which has high impact, low cost. I mean, we're very much aware of the cost of uh, these things, both in organizations and the NHS, anything which comes in with a big bang for bucks is not going to be accepted. It's not going to work. Cancer is only one of the challenges. So we need to have a way of developing, um, evolving, I think, rather than revolution, evolution, rather than revolution, mm-hmm. evolving systems, evolving practices, evolving individual behaviors to make sure that we are getting to a better place. We're not going to do all this at once, and from my perspective, in health and safety, there is a strong commitment to continual improvement. So that is our strategy, evolution, continual improvement, and trying to get high-impact, low-cost interventions. Um, And to do all that, we need more information. We need to know what we don't know. So that is really our th- in organizing this work and doing our other research we're all very applied researchers that, that is our, our our sort of framing strategy our, our our mission to develop these things okay professor tom cox thank you very much for joining us that sounds like a, a fascinating uh, series of events with a very important and uh, a very important set of outcomes to be reaching so thank you very much can i just add one thing yes yeah, sure um, I know they shouldn't be of great uh, importance to people, but these seminars are free, um, but they are space limited. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested, if people are interested in coming along, having heard this podcast or this one, 21st of January, or forward ones, they do need to keep their eyes open, get in contact with us, and we will tell them how they can sign up and come along. Brilliant. We'll make sure to put those uh, contact details and the link to the to the site um, on the podcast as well. So, listeners at home, check that out just below the link. And that's it for this edition of Burtbeck Voices. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch about the podcast, just drop us a line at communications at bbk.ac.uk. All the best for now, and we'll see you in the new year.
Ho, ho, ho.